last week on the 70s Weekly Countdown with Mark and Pete. So, I, I don't think you mentioned it. Maybe you don't want to mention it, what the 1970 tech was. <laughs> yeah, on November 17th, <laughs> Douglas Engelbart receives a United States patent for the first computer mouse. And on November 18th, the first incident of over-mousing takes place. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You know, we could be so much more efficient. You know, you should put that in the show notes, that article that I found that said the uh, American economy would grow 5, 5% if people stopped over-mousing and started oh. using keyboard shortcuts. Uh, so as the economy was crashing because people were over-mousing, what did it look like in, in 1970? The album cover for this... Um, it, there's a there's a woman lounging on it, and uh, yep. one side of her chest is exposed. And uh, either my sister or one of my brothers, they went to like a birthday party for a friend of theirs, and the, the kid got the album for a gift from his parents, and it had either a band aid or tape over it. <laughs> <laughs> song's lyrics looks forward to a future point where the world's land is to be given away and everyone will live together. I'm thinking the Soviets would probably like the guess who better than Neil Sataka. <laughs> you know, if you cut and paste that, it would give you minus 40. So yeah. 5 minus 10 is minus 10. Minus 15 is minus... No, 5 minus 10 is minus 5. Minus 15 is minus 20. Minus 20 is minus 40, and then it might have forgotten the rest of it. Well, then, yeah, to multiply with the parentheses times 25 minus 30. Times 5. <laughs> yeah. So what's, what's 4 <laughs> times 5, that's, uh, uh, so it would give you minus 200, right? Yeah, something like that. Something like that. It was my understanding that there would be no math. All right. Uh, this song may be a little too much James Brown for me. <laughs> <laughs> the bread. <laughs> they had uh, number 10, Naked With You, uh, our last <laughs> countdown, according to David Gates' mother. Which track is this off of The Best of Bread? Do you, do you know? Oh, I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> oh, darn. I, I'm sorry. <laughs> remember, remember when Gilligan... <laughs> I was about to say the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> so we're on our way to the circus. Yeah. What are we gonna find at the circus? Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna find a clown, and and he's probably not doing too well. I mean, he probably just listened to the James Taylor song. <laughs> <laughs> this is Tears of a Clown. Sugarloaf, right? Yeah. Ah. <clears throat> uh, I think I have a meeting scheduled for Sugarloaf tomorrow. Uh, <laughs> so that breaks the rules. So <laughs> I'll have to find you like James Brown would find people. Yeah. <laughs> tough to do since I'm doing this for no money. <laughs> no. <laughs> no Polish home Bloody Marys for you. I want to kiss myself. want to kiss myself.
Hello again, and welcome to the 70s Weekly Countdown with Mark and Pete, a show where usually two friends review a randomly chosen American Top 40 episode from the 1970s, the most interesting decade in pop music. My name is Mark Robeck, and with me is my friend and co-host, Peter Gardo. Hello, Peter. What's happening? Happy Thanksgiving, Mark. Yeah, happy Thanksgiving to you. I hope you uh, enjoyed your day. Uh, I don't know how many servings of uh, Alice's restaurant you got. I always like to have three or four. And, uh, but uh, my daughter's home from school for the weekend. And uh, we're uh, we're going to visit with two of my sisters and, uh, and stuff like that. You're, uh, you're in another time zone now, aren't you? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm actually uh, visiting my sister out in uh, Austin, Texas. And, uh, we, we went out for dinner. We usually go to a nice restaurant, which we did this year. It's very good. Beautiful. Yep. Having a good time. As you can tell, Pete and I have been friends for a very long time, 30 plus years. We met in college and then ended up working together for a long time. So what we have here is episode 30 of the 70s Weekly Countdown with Mark and Pete. It's the 1974 Thanksgiving special done in... 2022 so what is that that's uh 48 years ago yikes (laughs) and so the uh the title of this episode is disco hits and misses and for this episode we have a guest and our guest is uh is my friend jim pavich who i've probably known as long as i've known you maybe a little longer and uh we are going to be talking about a record called disco hits d-i-s-c-o hits which was put out back in the days where you didn't have the youtube or the streaming or this and that the other thing and you couldn't you couldn't afford a real record and there were no compilation records of of disco hits and this was put out by pickwick records so so jim why don't you uh introduce yourself and and let us know what what your remembrances of uh thanksgiving 1974 thanksgiving 1974 i was nine years old yeah, you know, I mean, back that was back in the days when we, in, in this area we had three channels, right? I used to watch channel, th- well, actually four, because you guys count channel 18, number one, right? Yeah. But channel three, <laughs> channel 30, and channel eight out of New Haven. I think channel three had, uh, it was a big uh, thrill when we were kids to watch the uh, Macy's, uh, Macy's uh, balloon parade. And I, we, we, Correct me if I'm wrong, but have you ever heard it called like the Macy's Day Parade? No, I don't think so. That sort of sounds familiar. Yeah, we yeah. still. I don't know. We, maybe maybe that was us when we were kids. I was just thinking about that. People were like, oh, you watch a Macy's Day Parade, but anyhow, that was a big big thrill when we were kids is to watch the Macy's Day Parade. So whoever was in charge of promo at Macy's deserves a raise forty years after the fact. Um, <laughs> and. Um, we probably, you know, we would have my my grandparents were still alive then, have a whole extended family and 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 overdo it just like this year. <laughs> Beautiful. So, Mark, uh, what were you doing November of nineteen seventy four? Yeah, well, first some. So, uh, I. I went back and I looked at just to check out what the weather was around here. So it looked like on that day we had a high of 36 and a, a low of 21 with no pre- uh, precipitation. That's Thanksgiving weather. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I, um, 
I, I just like Jim, I was nine years old, but a couple of days out from my 10th birthday, actually. So, yeah. Yeah. So that was, that was a big deal back then. And uh, I don't remember too much specifics from the day, but uh, I do have one of Gail's spy books, which I think she had, uh, this is my wife, Gail. Uh, I think she has graduated from the spy book, but I'll just uh, read a little bit of what she had for that day. She said, I went to the game, which was the football game between Bristol Eastern and Bristol Central High School. She said there was a, it was so crowded, more than 10,000 people. And she said, I could give you all the details, but I'll just say that Eastern won against Central. They won seven to six, but we aren't even sure if they got their six points legally. <laughs> <laughs> So we're still number one. And then it talks about uh, a girl she knew, Sue Norton, who was the uh, homecoming queen, I guess, or the football queen or whatever. But she was riding around in a Corvette after the game and she looked radiant. So <laughs> that's beautiful. Beautiful. So, so when I go, when I go back to the date book uh, and it's, November 74, my mother's parents uh, came in from uh, from Lockport, New York. So they, they arrived uh, uh, at uh, 6.30. I don't know if they drove. So at that point in time, my, my mom's folks were, oh, 63, 64 years old, 64 years old, I guess, and um, still driving around, you know, it's not that far from now, we'll be that age. <laughs> I was just thinking that. That was your grandparents. Yikes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they were born in 1909. Wow. And uh, right, right around that time. And uh, it says here on the 27th, which is the day before Thanksgiving, it says, Peter, music. So I don't know what that was because I would have been in the fourth grade. Um and uh, maybe I started taking the trumpet then. I I don't know. And then uh, we had Thanksgiving, and and uh, my grandparents left on um, uh, Saturday the thirtieth. So uh, I'm sure if I uh, look through the slide collection uh, that I have <clears throat> here in the basement, or go to my sister's house out near where Jim's parents live, there there might be uh, the print photographs. So. So sister number three got all the print photographs and I got all the slides. Uh, so, uh, so it's very good, but. Uh, you, so you can digitize that, those uh, slides at some point. Or? I, I've done, I've done some of them. Some of them. My, my sister number one was just in um, Washington, DC visiting her uh, husband's uh, two brothers that live in Virginia. And, and she was, she was asking when were we here? And I, I got out the date book and I took a picture of the date book and I sent it. And then she said, because there was a, a, a uh, my father at the end of June. So this is the end of June of 1971. Um, he had a, a conference and we actually, it was at the Naval Academy. And we stayed in the Naval Academy. Sorry, Jaime, because, uh, oh, so Jim, we also know as Jaime. Because <laughs> where, where'd you get that name? Jim. Actually, he was a mutual friend of ours, Bubba. We both went, we went to school up in New Hampshire, and a friend of ours, Bubba, 
I knew him from a uh, Spanish class and every time they would read the role at the beginning of the, of the class, the professor would say, hi, me. <laughs> so uh, when, when I got home, uh, Bubba would start calling me Jaime and people thought my name was Jaime <laughs> you know, appropriately. So it, it stuck 40, 40 odd years on with, with, with certain, with certain groups of people from a certain time. Yeah. yeah. What was what was Bubba's Spanish name? Because <laughs> his uh, real name was Chris. Uh, Cristobal. Cristobal. That's 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 less less funny than Jaime, I guess. You know. <laughs> yeah. If you call somebody Cristobal at a party, it's uh not uh not the hoot Jaime was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um so were there uh were there any headlines going on, Mark, at this point in time? Um, I, I just pulled out one that was actually on uh, Thanksgiving Day, uh, some music news. So the, um, actually on Thanksgiving Day, it was John Lennon's last concert appearance as a guest of Elton John at Madison Square Garden in New York City. Um, they performed Whatever Gets You Through the Night, Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds, and I Saw Her Standing There. Wow. So that must have been something to see. If you were at that, yeah. So that was a that was a um, a uh, Elton John concert, I guess. Then, right? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, because you know after uh, John Lennon uh, died, an LP came out uh, called uh, New York or something, which I thought was a uh, uh, a live concert that he did, and I, I don't know. That was about probably a nineteen seventy three concert, I, I would imagine, but I, I don't remember. Do you have that in your collection, Jaime? That that yeah I do that came out much later though I think that came out maybe in the mid to late eighties yeah, yeah after John, John Lennon, Lennon died in New York yep that's yeah well, well after yeah yep. yeah yeah and then of course there's uh, <clears throat> the live set that he did with uh, Frank Zappa and the Mothers on uh, uh, oh I forget what that record is called and they sometime they in New York sometime in New York yeah which is kind of a terrible record. And, so. and according to Frank Zappa, like Lennon stole most of Zappa's material, but that's that's Frank Zappa's word. <laughs> <laughs> sounds sounds like Frank Zappa. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he doesn't have a lot of kind words. A lot does he? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, get, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. You 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 get honesty from Frank though. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a fair point. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so after your Thanksgiving meal or during it. Uh, what was on TV that day? Yeah, so, you know, Thanksgiving, traditionally uh, NFL football, a couple, couple games. So on, on this particular day, it was uh, the Washington Redskins, uh, who were 10-4 and four versus the Dallas Cowboys, who were 8-6. and six, And the Cowboys beat them 24-23. Uh, a little odd score there. Mm-hmm. And then... Um, there was uh, the Denver Broncos who were seven, six, and one at that point, and they were playing the Detroit Lions, which they always play on Thanksgiving, and uh, they were seven and seven, and the Broncos beat them uh, 31-27. Was this the end of the regular season? Because I think there were still only 14 games in the season then, and the Super Bowl was like the first weekend and it you know after New Year's back in the day. Yeah, so. I I, I don't remember. It's, it's yeah. kind of. I don't know what. I don't know when they went to fourteen games. We'll have to have yeah. 
uh, an NFL podcast uh, of <laughs> Thanksgiving days. But yeah. <laughs> um, so so grow, growing up, uh, you know, we we would watch TV, the the, the four channels, um, and there would be uh, there would be advertisements on uh, on TV for for things like this. It's the hustle, and it's just one of the big fifty on this incredible multi-album collection from TEJ Records. So, he's So this is not the record we're looking at, but this is a. Uh, uh, something that Jaime found on the uh, on the YouTube that we're listening to here, but it was hit songs done by other folks. And and tonight, um, I think I can turn this thing off now. Goodbye. Um, we're going to look at uh, a Pickwick record uh, that uh, did disco hits, and there's nine tracks on this on this LP. And what do we what do we say, Mark? We're going to play the. The the fake one and then the original or the original and then the fake one. I, I, I forget. I, I think we. Or I, I like doing the original first and then the fake one. All right, all right. Um, but that, uh, you know, I'm willing to take a vote here. We could. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll 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 do that. So, um, so the uh, where's where are my notes? Ah, there they are. Um. What, what do you remember about Pickwick Records, Jaime? Anything? Yeah, I remember a lot of times those were in discount stores, Kings, uh, Grants back in the 70s. <laughs> Typically like uh, a buck 99 LPs. And uh, mostly like as a kid growing up, I either loved them as a child or by the time I turned a teenager, they were useless throwaways. <laughs> did did you ever have any yeah i had a number of them but most of them were children's records yeah wow. I, I i had a, a number i don't know if i have any still in my collection now i yeah. gotta dig all right well let's let's start it off with uh, uh side one track one here are the ohio players and this is the real one and um sound on this is uh yeah okay tweak it um, down a little bit maybe all right how's that that's that's better just so we can yeah. up over it a little bit so this this song fire by the Ohio players reached the number one position on the at40 on the 8th of february 1975 and um i actually ripped this from uh, my American Top 40 from uh, January 18th, 1975. So, what do you think of the Ohio players, uh, Mark? Um, yeah, I just thought this was a good song. So this um, this one was written by uh, Leroy Sugarford Bonner from the Ohio players. And uh, prior to this, uh, this song, the group had uh, Funky Worm as their top oh, yeah. uh, 40 entry. That's a terrible song. Yeah, that's that's more of a novelty song. Um, but uh, this song is considered to be their signature song along with uh, Love Roller Coaster. 
and uh, the album Fire, uh, which uh, had this title track on it, uh, was the band's second album on Mercury Records. Um, it was their first and only chart, chart topper on the uh, U.S. Albums chart. And uh, so uh, Sugarfoot Bonner said he recalled uh, they were in the studio making tracks and all of a sudden this song just like leaped out. And they told the uh, author of Billboard uh, book of number one R&B hits that his, his, his and his bandmates came up with the title, title Fire and then ran with it. And they came up with the, um, you know, they would come up with names for songs and then just, just write the songs. That was kind of how they did it. Um, he said uh, the inclusion of the fire truck sirens was a no-brainer. He added to use all the effects one could use on a track like that. The fire engines and all that seemed very appropriate to what was going on with albums of that era. Um, people, other people used like babies crying and kids singing and street sounds, etc. So, so the band played the rhythm track of the song for Stevie Wonder, who immediately in pegged it as a hit. Already a number 11, the oh. Ohio players with... So yeah, they played it for Stevie Wonder, and, and he he immediately said, oh, this thing's going to be a hit. So, yeah. All right. All right, well, <clears throat> let's go to what the disco gang did, the disco hits guy by the disco band. Mm-hmm. Sounds great. <laughs> so, first thing I noticed is they, they went a little overboard, I think, on the sound effects. <laughs> yeah. Well, on the back of the LP, and I'm showing it on Channel 18 right now, it says fire. The Ohio players are burning up the charts with this smash. Disco band performs it here. <laughs> So Jaime, what's uh, what's what's Adam's favorite song called? Fire. Uh, when we kiss, it's like fire. <laughs> you know the the Bruce Springsteen song by who, who does that song? Yeah, Bruce Springsteen and Patti Smith, maybe. No, 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 no. But wasn't there like uh, like a R&B group that did it? I don't know, but I'm thinking uh, the way Adam used to sing it was obscene, and this is a family show. <laughs> I, I could sing it for you, but I would get the censor. Yeah. <laughs> what wasn't there an Elmer Fudd version someone put out too? Robin Williams did that. <laughs> was that Robin Williams? Okay. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the uh, the audio here isn't very good. This is ripped off an LP, but I think it's pretty. Uh, Listen to that. Yeah. Uh, I, I'd say in general, it's a pretty decent version. It, it's it's not bad. If you only had, a, you know, two bucks. Yeah. That, that intro, though, sounded like it was recorded, like the Ohio players recorded through a jar of Vaseline or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
All right. All right. So uh, the second track on side one did not ever make the top 40. I got to go find it here on the computer. I think it's here. So we'll get at this run rolling. Here it goes. So this song uh, peaked at number 48 on the 22nd of March, 1975, and I I pulled this off the of YouTube. Um, oh my goodness! <laughs> Who is this? is Mr. Carl Douglas, who is famous for a different Kung Fu song, but this is uh, off the album Kung Fu Fighting and Other Great Love Songs from 1975. <laughs> <laughs> so, so this was written by Carl Douglas and Yidu Apaya. Really That's easy for that. you to say. Yeah, but I couldn't find much on this song. Um, the album Kung Fu Fighting and Other Great Love Songs got to number 37 on the Billboard album chart and number one on the Soul album chart, actually. Uh, um, in, in Europe, uh, Asia, and Africa, and South America, the album was released under the name Kung Fu Fighter. Uh, of course, his biggest hit off the same album was Kung Fu Fighting. Um, yeah. All right, so here's here's a question for you. There's Chip, there's Robbie, there's Ernie. Where does Carl fit in? <laughs> you don't get it, do you? It took me a minute to get it. Uh, yeah. Steve, those kids are driving me crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Especially that Carl. Yeah. All he does is go around with kung fuing. Yeah. <laughs> It's funny, like, you think about that in that era of time, the commercial potential of Kung Fu. I mean, Douglas had, what, two Kung Fu hits? I can remember as a kid when the television show was popular, kids in my fifth and sixth grade classes had Kung Fu lunch boxes with David Carradine on them. Oh, yeah. It, it had the... I remember it, one scene had him fighting Master Paul where the, you know, they had the sticks and he was, the head was to the side, yeah. And also kids, kids were making shurikens in the in industrial arts class, you know, the drum <laughs> stars, yeah. <laughs> All right, so let's, uh, let's hear how the disco hits guys did it. And uh, that's over here. Here we go. Do you think that was a real harpsichord in the disco hits? Sure. I, I noticed right off the bat, this is a little heavier on the uh, shaft-type synthesizer production, if you will. This guy sounds just like Carl Douglas. He, he really can does, you, yeah. Can you imagine the studio musicians that showed up to work that day and they're like, this, this is what we're recording today. <laughs> yeah. I, I think he sounds just like him, but 
he lacks a little bit of the charisma, I think. He's just like a, a one notch slower, you know? I agree. I'll go, I'll go with Carl Douglas. Yeah. But he does sound quite a bit like him. Yeah. Carl, by the way, is still with us. He's 80 years old. Uh, yeah. So uh, on the back of the LP, it says Dance the Kung Fu, never missing a punch. Carl Douglas just had to show you how it was done. How'd you like to be the guy that wrote all these liner notes? I mean... <laughs> Sounds like it was like an afterthought. Yeah. Oh, oh, crap. crap. We, yeah. we, gotta, we gotta write something down. <laughs> what do you got? <laughs> Never missing a punch. Yeah. All right. So all right. we'll... Uh... That, that was pretty decent, though. That was, yeah. uh, that was well put together. Yeah, absolutely. All right, we'll start the next one. So this is the real, the real song. <clears throat> so this is uh, "Pick Up the Pieces" by the Average White Band. It reached number one on the twenty-second of February, nineteen seventy-five, and uh, I ripped this from the same uh, American Top Forty that I uh, had before the eighteenth of, uh, of January. So, so Jaime. You've seen the Savage Brothers, right? Uh, many times, yeah. Yeah, and this is one of the things they did, right? Great, great dance number. Actually, I have a, I have an average white band story for you if you want to hear it. Sure. Sure. Years back, I saw the average white band, and uh, afterward at the club, uh, Robbie McIntyre, Robbie McIntosh, I think his name is Robbie McIntyre, he's, he's the leader now of, of average white band. He was sitting at the bar having a pint, and those guys are funky, you know. A lot of guys think that they, these guys are black, but they're actually from Scotland, and they have these thick, thick Scottish accents. So I said uh, at the end of the show, Robbie Knight's job, and he looks at me and goes, "Laddie, it's not a job; it's a calling." <laughs> <laughs> those guys—they uh, knew about all the funk. So this one, it was off their album. Uh, AWB in 1974. If you look at the album cover, it's it's an A and then the W is made with like it's a drawing of the back of a woman with her butt being the W. <laughs> and, uh, it was written by uh, saxophonist Roger Ball and guitarist Hamish Stewart. Hamish is a good Scottish name or British name. I don't know. <laughs> Hamish Stewart also, he played with uh, Paul McCartney. Did he? Yes. All right. So let's find our way back to the disco hits. And the disco hits are right here. <laughs> Boy, it sounds like they're they're in the bathroom. <laughs> Is that a trombone? <laughs> I I thought it was like it sounded like they were being backed up by the Tonight Show band or something. <laughs> it also started out much blander, you know, like the the organ was more prominent in the average white band version. Yeah, so the liner notes to pick up the pieces is, quote, 
The average white band put their rhythm and blues style to this hit. Now listen to the performance of the disco band on this album. All I can think of when I keep on reading disco, D I S K O, it's like Jack wrote it. I... <laughs> great. <laughs> great. <laughs> The, the, the name of the band, the, this band who does all the covers is called the Disco Band. Yeah. D-I-S-K-O Band. Yeah, spent a lot of time thinking about that, huh? <laughs> Whenever something is spelled with a K, that's the old cliche, like, say, you know, <laughs> run far away. But uh, the hi-hat symbols are really pronounced in this, too. Ooh, look at that. Did you hear that? Woo! Yeah. You know, if you didn't know any better and you were listening to everything on a on an AM radio, you know, out of, you know, uh, 1360 WDRC, I don't think you'd know the difference. Yeah. You know? This sax. Great, listen, great drummer there, though. What is it, Hal Blaine? <laughs> I would, right. right. Harper's <laughs> own. Yeah. The sax solo is not bad. It's a little lower in the mix, but I also noticed when the chorus came in in the average white band there was like a uh, very heavy on like a percussion block or something I didn't hear that in, in this one and the, the chorus is much more harmonized soul type vocals in the in the disco version yeah I, in general I think that was kind of a poor rendition <laughs> so far the worst of the the ones we've heard off the album, I'd say, <laughs> my opinion, anyway. All right. We're going to find our way up to track three, excuse me, track four on side one. And this is the, uh, this is the BT Express, and this got to number two on the 16th of November of 1974. And uh, we talked, didn't we just have this on a, a recent countdown, Mark? Um, I believe we did. Yeah, yeah. It's um, yeah. It's it's written by our friend Billy Nichols. <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> so this. So, honey, one... you, do you remember the BT Express at all, or just from listening to the oldie station? I I re- the only thing I remember from the BT Express. Remember like the top forty list that they used to hand out at Caldors. There was like a rack on the front of the cashier station that had like Caldor's hot hit of the week, and and the BT Express was uh, listed on that. I don't I don't recall this tune. Yeah, yeah. This was released uh, uh, from the debut album of uh, the same title, and it, it, this song became a big crossover success. It's noted for its hand claps in the beginning. Uh, as well as the spoken portion in the middle of the song, the espresso <laughs> Do you know how to say that, Jaime? Uh, yeah. Um, I, when you guys were talking about it in that episode, you had two words, right? One was espresso and the other was I, I forgot what it was. Yeah. Hey, Dave, it's, it's your hard show. To say. Yeah. I'm just taking notes. Uh, <laughs> All right, let's let's see what the uh, what the disco hits guys did with this one, right? It's a carbon copy. 
Yeah. The, the claps, the clap track is really, really subdued on this one. But Tom's pretty good. I think, Do you think this is the Carl Douglas a guy? More. I don't know if it's the same guy. Do they list that on the album at all? No. no just, okay. I'm sorry to interrupt you, Jaime. What was that? I, was, I think uh, the, the disco band has maybe a little bit more punch than the Beat Express. <laughs> yeah, the guy in the background saying whatever it sounds uh, really like uh, the original, but then when, yeah, this part, he, the speak singing part, he sounds more like a guy telling kids a story or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think this is Carl Douglas in the BT Express. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. It's, that's not a bad rendition at all. I, I think the production value is a little, little lacking, but yeah. it sounded decent. That one was probably recorded just before lunch. And <laughs> at, the, at lunch break, that's the end of the session. <laughs> you guys get their 25 bucks and go home <laughs> all right last song on side one this is uh uh the original is this the original yeah this is the original the hughes corporation rock the boat so this one should sound pretty good because i actually have this on a uh my sounds of the 70s uh records from uh time warner and uh this is a great song yeah i i might have voted for this as uh best song in, a, in one of the countdowns i can't remember but um yeah this is off their album freedom for the stallion in 1974 it was uh, written by the band's manager wally holmes um, this was arguably the first disco song to hit number one in the U.S. Um, the instrumental hit, uh, The Sound of Philadelphia, um, was released three months earlier, but um, this, this was a, a huge hit. So Richard Finch of Casey and the Sunshine Band told uh, Song Facts that Rock the Boat played a partial role in inspiring the hit Rock Your Baby, which may come up a little later. <laughs> so this uh, this song was particularly popular in uh, Ireland, don't you know? <laughs> and there was a dance that went along with it that, that people do at weddings. I've never seen it. Have you guys seen that? Where people actually imitate being in a boat and rowing? The only thing that I've ever done was when Hawaii Five O was, you jump on the floor and pretend you're in a in a outrigger or whatever those things are in Hawaii Five O, and you go back and forth. And when you've had too much to uh, have, where was that Pacific Pub time <laughs> with heavy yeah. D? Yeah. yeah, I was thinking the only dance I recall it's Macarena maybe. Yeah. But I, I don't remember the rock the boat dance. I don't remember. The yeah, you, you sit down and you pretend you're rowing the boat to the tune. But I've never seen it either. Well, maybe we'll go, if we ever go to another wedding again, we'll 
have to ask the band to do that. Yeah. So Hughes Corporation was kind of a takeoff on the Howard Hughes. Howard Hughes's company. Yep. All right. Here is the disco band. Oh goodness. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a Sounds like a German Oop band or something. <laughs> Sung by the Munchkins. Yeah. So, sounds like an amateur choir. <laughs> the, the lead guy isn't bad, but he's not quite as talented as the original. Yeah. So, on the back of, uh, of the LP, rock the boat. The Hughes Corporation, H-U-E-S, and I think the real way to say it or to spell it is H-U-G-H-E-S, like Howard Hughes. The Hughes yeah. Corporation rocked the charts with this hit, performed here by the disco band. <laughs> Those sound like real strings, though. That's high budget. Yeah. The So what? One of the things about Pickwick Records is uh, Lou Reed worked as a staff writer for Pickwick and, uh, in New York City and, and learned how to you know, produce records and stuff and uh, did a couple songs. And uh, they were both on the Soundsville compilation in 1965. And uh, The Ostrich and Sneaky Pete, two earlier songs, but reunited them with John Cale, leading them to the founding of the Felted Underground. Yeah. So, did, Jaime, did you listen to the episode where uh, uh, Sending the Clowns, <laughs> we did that one? I and, did not, enlighten me. <laughs> well, during it, I was like, because it's a terrible song. And all I could think of during that was Sending, or was What a Clown. <laughs> Nico. <laughs> We're gonna yeah. flip this LP over. Yeah, I I didn't think that was a very good uh, cover at all. Of that no, song. that's the lamest one. Yeah. All right, let's put the needle back on the LP. Actually, no. This is the start. This is the real one. Okay. So this is Shirley and Company. Shame, shame, shame. And uh, got up to number 12 in March of 75. And uh, yeah. this is uh, off the uh, album of the same name, Shame, 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 in 1975. Um, the song was written and produced by Sylvia Robinson, co-owner of the all-platinum record label. Um, it was originally intended for all-platinum artist Donnie Elbert, uh, but when that didn't work out, Robinson paired veteran blues vocalist Shirley Goodman with uh, all-platinum artist Jesus Alvarez. Songwriter Sylvia Robinson was originally from another 50s duo, Mickey and Sylvia. I think we talked about them in one of our episodes. Yeah, I talked about Rob Mays' cousin, Sylvia. Or is that someone else? Yeah. <laughs> So this uh, recording became an international disco hit, and Shirley Goodman uh, was a New Orleans-born uh, singer who was half of the 
1950s R&B, most Shirley and Lee. They had an American Top 20 hit with Let the Good Times Roll in 1956. uh, Goodman has provided vocals for the Rolling Stones and Dr. John, amongst others. There's nothing better than hearing the disco band. (laughs) See how they do. (laughs) Sounds sped up. (laughs) I I think it sounds like a banjo. (laughs) The the singer sounds like I got a basketball Jones. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We had that on one of our episodes. I think the backing sounds almost country. (laughs) Wow, they're getting into it. Yeah. I I think the original vocalist, Shirley uh, Goodman, has more style, though, a little bit of breathy delivery. So what does your critical ear say, Jaime? Ooh. I I, uh, I don't prefer the disco band on that. Uh, I, I did. Uh, I go to wait for them on the uh, the Carl Douglas tune. That that was their best one so far. Uh, this one's kind of, but, but the musicianship is is okay. Yeah, uh, w- with the exception of the basketball Jones vocals. <laughs> yeah, there's uh, something coming up. A horn instrument, I think, or a wind instrument. That in this version, that's pretty good. Not sure what it is, actually. So, in the liner notes, shame, 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 this song, made a hit by Sherling Company, is performed here by the disco band. Who do you think wrote the liner notes? <laughs> I think the secretary of Pickwick Records. Yeah. Hey, hey, we got to get this out today. Write something down. So I'm still waiting for that instrument to come in. The highlight of this version. <laughs> Don't know when it comes. Here it comes, Con. There it is. The clarinet. Yeah. Pretty good. This guy's no Benny Goodman, though. Was no. it Benny Goodman that played the? What is it? There were two brothers, right? <laughs> Who's the other Goodman brother? Barry? Dickie. Dickie. Dickie Goodman. Dickie <laughs> <laughs> Am I thinking of the wrong guy? There was a trumpet player and a clarinetist. Yeah. I don't remember. I thought Benny was the clarinetist. And the other guy was a trombone player, right? Yeah. All right, we'll... We'll sort that out. And table that one. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah, that wasn't too bad. I mean, you know, I, I didn't like the uh, sort of country in the background, but. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you didn't get enough kung, uh, uh, dance to kung fu, side two, track two. This is the original. This was a huge song in the fall of 1974. 
got all the way up to number one, December 7th. <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen Kung Fu. You've, you've watched Kung Fu, right, Mark? Oh, yeah. I, Recently. Uh, uh, a few years ago, I, like, binge-watched the entire series. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I, I remember watching it as a kid. Yeah, I never yeah. saw it as a kid. I liked it. I, I also liked the... Uh, the Mad Magazine take off Kung Fu. <laughs> I might even have that. Yeah, I I found it on the internet. Pretty funny. But uh, yeah, so this is off that same album, Kung Fu Fighting and Other Great Love Songs. Um, and this one also is by Carl Douglas and we do a Paya. Um, so Douglas was a session singer for Pie Records when he wrote this, and he got the idea for the song when he saw two kids in London doing some kung fu moves. <laughs> this went to number one on the pop charts in '74, and uh, the Asian producer Bidu asked Douglas to record a song he wrote with uh, Larry Weiss called "I Want to Give You My Everything," and Douglas convinced him to use kung fu fighting as the B side. And they recorded Kung Fu fighting in 10 minutes. <laughs> wow. Figuring it was just a B-side, but the record label loved it, and they made it the A-side. And after a slow start, it began selling, and Yidu became the first Asian to produce a UK number one hit. Wow. It eventually went on to sell 11 million records worldwide, um, making it one of the best-selling singles of all time, actually. All right. Oh, yep. go ahead. You are, how would you rate this song as a love song? <laughs> yeah, good point. It's not an other love song, is it? <laughs> Maybe it's an other love song. Yeah. So, Carl's from Jamaica. All right. Let's hear what our buddies in the disco. What's it called again? The disco band. Okay. <laughs> it's hard to remember that one. <laughs> Ooh, off key. I'm assuming this is the same guy that did the other Carl Douglas song. Well, I think he also did, you know, Do It by the BT Express. Yeah. He actually sounds a lot like him. Maybe he's Jamaican. Yeah. You can put that on your resume. I sound a lot like Carl Douglas. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So... So there was who was the oldest one? Robbie. Well, there was and then Ernie. Yeah, but then there was the older, older brother, fifties or whatever, went away to college. Remember? Okay. (laughs) So I was watching a Mannix earlier this week, repeat, and Dodie was the star. You know, as a kid, she's only I think she's your age. Dodie's your age. Maybe you're older than you. But she was on that uh, episode of Mannix uh, as a little girl, 
And and that episode of Manix was then uh, uh, not repeated, but was used as the uh, uh, the storyline for a later diagnosis murder, where uh, Mike Connors came back as Joe Manix huh? you know, in, a, in a reprise. But the uh, Dodie like never really grew up. You know, she was, she had. She never got tall and grew into a woman. She was still a little kid, and they, they used someone else to do the Dodie spot. So, uh, uh, yeah, but, I also texted you that that uh, Jan Brady was on the Manix too. Oh yeah, that's right. So Kung Fu Fighting on the liner notes. Carl Douglas started out a new craze with his big hit. The disco band will show you why. <laughs> <laughs> so I think the Haas. Uh, and this are, are better in the original. Uh, also, uh, the background chorus is much better in the original. Pretty good cover, though. I, I think it, it's not bad. I figure these days, all the money that's spent on tribute bands, if we heard this back in 75, all of us would be totally dejected that these are not the original versions. Now people <laughs> yeah. line up and they spend 100 bucks to hear versions like this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I think the musicianship is pretty good. Yeah, yeah. I, so far, the two Carl Douglas song covers, I think, are the best uh, on the album. What else is there? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's your favorite band. <laughs> nice! <laughs> so this is the original. Who is this on Discotheques in the sexolets. <laughs> so, this got up to number 10 the 8th of February 1975. Yeah, it was off the album Get Dancing uh, in 1974. Uh, former Four Seasons producer and co writer Bob True produced this song. He also wrote the song along with Kenny Nolan. And, uh, Disco Tex was a pseudonym of a hairdresser by the name of Sir Monty Rock III, <laughs> born Joseph Montanez, who had been a teen idol and a regular on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson in the 60s. Um, Bob Crew and Kenny Nolan wrote this song. The duo wrote numerous top 40 hits of the 70s, including the number one records, Lady Marmalade, oh. uh, for Patti LaBelle, and My Eyes Adored You for Frankie Valli. This song was written as a salute to the greatest hemisphere on earth, the Western Hemisphere, because it's the dancingest hemisphere of all. (laughs) Wow. This got to number 10 on the the Billboard uh, 100, I think, as Pete said. It reached number one on the disco chart and number three on the U.S. dance chart. Do they they use Pearl drums and Gibson guitars because they're the best? All right, let's hear what the disco band has to do here. Okay. All right. Which is right there. Wow, the crowd's a lot more pronounced right off the bat.
I think the singing is better on the disco band. All right, I don't know, maybe not. Well, has the lead come in yet, or? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, oh, it's is, mixed is this down. The, oh, there he is. So on the liner notes here, it says, Disco Tex and the Sexolex get dancing recorded this hit. Not to be outdone, the disco band recorded it for this album. <laughs> That's the best yet of the liner notes. <laughs> uh, all right. I'll tell you one, one thing about this tune. This is possibly one of the, you notice I was excited when it came on, possibly one of the worst chart-topping singles ever, of all time. But, I mean, it deserves so much credit for that. I mean, someone told me once, if, if, it's, if something's worth doing, it's worth doing poorly. And this is probably the poorest version of every type of disco trope you can put together all crammed into one and it kind of makes it great <laughs> yeah I, I found it's hard to you know compare and contrast the two versions when you when you don't like the original song too much <laughs> yeah. I'm turning myself on I'm doing it uh, okay. Wow. <laughs> All right. <laughs> That's enough for dancing by the disco band. <laughs> All right. So <laughs> now, now, now we're up to the the last song on this awesome LP. Product of Pickwick Records, excuse me, product of Pickwick International Inc., Woodbury, New York, one one. Seven nine seven. Uh, where is Woodbury? I don't know. So, this was on one of our first seventies uh, uh, weekly contents with Mark and Pete. Um, this is George McRae. Got up to number one in July of '74. There it is, Rocky Baby. Yeah. So, yeah, this is off uh, the entitled album, Rock Your Baby, in 1974, written by Harry Wayne Casey. And oh, Richard Finch of the Casey and the Sunshine Band. Yeah. And uh, so Finch revealed a bit of engineering geekery that went into the song. 
that the bass drum on this recording was actually a transistor radio speaker. One day the microphone was broken for the kick drum and being an electronics gadget dude that, that he was, he figured maybe the diaphragm was broken inside the microphone. He couldn't figure out why it wouldn't work, but it didn't. So he, he took that microphone apart and he used the transformer inside uh, and connected it to a regular speaker from a little tiny pocket radio. He put the speaker in the bass drum and that's why, uh, that's what was used as the mic for the, the kick on Rock Your Baby. And he said it sounded really good when they listened to it back, so. That's a cool drum tone. Yeah. So when was the last time you saw Scoop's drums? Scoop's drums is from the basement? Yeah. Probably at your basement in Gordon Street. I, yeah. I don't know how long ago that was. And yeah, I remember, I, I like, I thought you saw them over at Parker's with Scott. Oh, Parker. I did, I did. But my, my memory of that is, do you recall what the throne was for that drum kit? Yeah, it was a container. It was we didn't have a container real filled with dishes. That's right. <laughs> it's like one of those containers you'd see, like in the '70s, that that gets pushed to the side and and the six million dollar <laughs> man jumps over a wall or something. <laughs> So that's pretty good about uh, so it's a good sounding record. Yeah. So um, Casey uh, originally wanted Gwen McCray, George McCray's wife, to record the song, but um, then George walked in and uh, they told Harry to let George have a go first, and they they liked the way he sounded on the track. This was voted as the number one single of the year by Rolling Stone magazine. Said oh, wow. Yeah. And they hate everything. <laughs> All right. Here we go. The last song by the disco. What's it called again? The disco band. Disco band. <laughs> With a K. <laughs> Seems like they tried to get a different uh, drum kind of percussion tone in there. What's that high pitched thing though? Like, a... I think it's one of those things you scrub back and forth. No, no, the... no, not the percussion thing. Like the cheesy keyboards. Uh... Yeah. Ooh. Carl Douglas. Yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He got four songs in this LP. Yeah. Yeah. Is that, that is that a guitar or is it just some kind of synthesized? sounds like they use Casey's trick uh, with the microphone on the guitar and it sounds like a crap this time. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, the singer sort of sounds a little bit like uh, George McRae, but there's more echo effect on his voice too. Yeah, that's because he just finished doing all his kung fu. Yeah. 
So the the liner notes, Rock Your Baby, <laughs> George McCray's smash hit of the summer of 74, now played by the disco band. <laughs> you know, if you if you just read this, you know, oh my gosh. <laughs> the disco band will show you why. <laughs> performed here by the disco band. He's performed here by the disco band. The disco band performs it here. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think that's going to inspire me to write some liner notes for our, our episode. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. Leaves you wanting more. Yeah. All right. So, uh, if you were at the theater, what would you see? You missed that part, Mark. Yeah, so you got do you guys remember the uh, the movie Earthquake? Yeah, and since around. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Starring uh, Charlton Heston, Ava Gardner, Lauren Green, and George Kennedy. Um I think I tried to watch that a number of years ago. And my daughter was young and she didn't She thought it was scary, like it was real. Uh, or something. So I, I only saw the beginning when they're at the Mulholland Dam or whatever the heck it is. So, yeah, um, I saw that. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I saw that uh, Jerry Lewis Cinema, and the deal was I don't know if you guys remember, <laughs> but the gimmick was it was called Sensor Around, and yeah. it was supposed to be like you could feel the earthquake. And they had these kind of big, I don't know, face spin kind of speakers in the back of the the cinema with like you know 500 watt amplifiers and when the uh, ground started crumbling or crumbling the earthquakes start they they cranked it up and it felt theoretically realistic yeah what did, did they put out uh, some other movies with that sensor round too back then i think there was the midway one the the world war ii one was in sensor round that's right yeah yeah that's what i remember but uh, Richard Roundtree, you know, Shaft was also in uh, Earthquake. He was the guy in the motorcycle. And at the end, he was trying to outrun the floodwaters because the dam broke. And I don't <laughs> think he made it. <laughs> he was like in those, uh, you know, those spillways they always show in, uh, in Los Angeles or whatever. Yeah. Oh, like where Terminator was? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the, the, the concrete... Rivers. Yeah. And I think Lauren Green, they're lowering guys down on a, a chair with a you know, fire extinguisher hose because the, the stairs were broken between floors. And then Lauren Green has a heart attack. And the other guys are yelling at him, why didn't you go first? Well, why did you go before the younger guys or whatever? <laughs> I think George Kennedy survives. He's, he's the cop. And Charlton Heston survives. No, Charlton Heston dies. That's right. He's, You're he's, giving it all away. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's a good movie. <laughs> all right. So yeah. sorry about the spoilers if you haven't seen yeah. Earthquake yet. <laughs> yeah. All right. So so we're gonna um, we, we're gonna put one on you here, Jaime. Uh -huh. What is the best cover song of the LP, in your opinion? 
Uh, it's the Kung Fu by the Disco Band. The one we're playing right now? Yeah. Wow. Okay. That's the Kung Fu. <laughs> it's George McCray. Yeah. <laughs> so what's your favorite one there, Mark? Um, I... I, it was a toss-up, so given it's a toss-up, I'm going to go with Kung Fu Fighting by the, uh, the Carl Douglas imitator guy. All right. Uh, maybe I'll... Let's see if I can figure out how to do that up. Yeah. This one here. There you go. Okay. So that's, that's your best cover song. Yeah. Yeah. I think the... Uh, that and the uh, Dance the Kung Fu were the best covers on the album. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I can't choose the same ones. And I have it written down for those of you looking on Everybody Channel 18. I thought that the best cover song was this one. <laughs> no. <laughs> Two, three, four. <laughs> if a job's worth doing, it's worth doing poorly. That's right. Get dancing by, <laughs> by the disco band covering disco techs in the sex Yeah, I I wouldn't argue that it's just as good as the original. <laughs> <laughs> oh. All right, so, so I, I just chose my favorite. I'll, I'll do the... Uh, I'll give you the worst one, in my opinion. Here we go. I just thought this was really flat. And I really don't like the original. So, by the BT Express. And of course they say here, uh, BT Express weren't satisfied until they were number one. <laughs> Listen to the hit. Oh, it doesn't say by the disco band. <laughs> All right, Jaime. What's what's your what's your uh, number zero of the of the disco the, band uh, countdown? Uh, pick up the pieces with the trombone arrangement. That is not funky. Yeah, uh, that's this one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sounds awful. <laughs> Here we go. One, two, three. It sounds. You know what it sounds like. It, it sounds like. <laughs> my high school band yeah okay and it sounds like dwight and dale Kiefer, and who else played the trombone and uh <laughs> oh god <laughs> it's like they came back from drinking or something Remember frank zappa talked about uh, in his uh one of his records he put out in the early 80s uh the band came back drunk from lunch or something <laughs> If you read his uh, his autobiography, so. all right, all right. I uh, I went with the uh, the one you accidentally played, and that's the uh, rock the boat. This one here, huh? <laughs> Real strings, though. <laughs> 
The Hughes Corporation rocked the charts with this hit performance here by the disco band. So what's what's your reasoning there, Mark? I I think part of it is I I like the original, and I think this is just uh, kind of butchering it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh boy, that's bad. Yeah, that's not very good at all. <laughs> I don't think this is fake Carl Douglas, do you? No, I think it's a different. Uh... All right. <laughs> well, I think it's about time to wrap this up as we hear the rest of Rock the Boat uh, by the Fake Use Corporation. Oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, so Jim, you have a thank you for coming on. Yeah. Oh, I, enjoyed I, I appreciate you having me on. Uh, I got a quick question. Do you know if the disco band has any other records? <laughs> well, I think maybe we'll have to do it next Thanksgiving if we're still. I gotta, go, I gotta go out and find out more disco band records. At least at the, I could get their entire discography for a buck ninety nine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. All right, yeah. well, I hope everyone had a good Thanksgiving. Yeah. It would be interesting to know who, who the actual performers were, though, if, if they, you know, showed up on anything uh, anything uh, famous. <laughs> like the fake Carl yeah. Douglas guy. Yeah, he seemed like a talented singer. He was good. Yeah. <laughs> so, <This> uh, <laughs> so, Mark, what would, uh, what would Casey say? Oh, God, I didn't come up with anything actually. <laughs> All right, uh, head head to the disco and listen to the disco band. <laughs> All right, and visit us on the Twitter machine at Seventies Weekly, and keep your podcast machine right where it's tuned. All right, gentlemen, happy Thanksgiving. Hey, thanks. Happy Thanksgiving. That's all. Roll back. Roll back. <laughs>